G'day, Rich. Welcome to another another weekly podcast. How are we getting on tonight? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, Matt. How are you this evening? You're in the hot seat tonight, pushing the buttons. Yeah, yeah. Another week in the hot seat. Uh, we've got some pretty couple of good guests lined up tonight, so pretty keen to hear what they've got to say, and and uh, it might change my attitude to some of the things I've been doing to some of the other things I've been doing. So pretty <laughs> yeah. keen to hear what they've got, got coming up. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk. Um, we're going to talk bike packing, riding your bike, um, and all things biking tonight, which is going to be really good. What have you been up to lately, Matt? What's what's uh, what's been going on in your world recently? Oh, a bit of mountain biking. Uh, we're still carrying on with the CP Monday night coaching session, so that's been going really well. We've got a really keen group there, um, kind of beginners uh, and some people that are more experienced. So yeah, we're getting out and um, kind of challenging people to ride stuff they wouldn't normally ride and just giving them some lots of skills. Um, been at yeah, Horsel cool. Quarry for the last three weeks, just an absolutely amazing place to ride. So trails for all levels and um, yeah, it's been really cool. So it's been good. That's right. There's been uh, some really good development over the last few years at Horsel Quarry, hasn't it? It's just got better and better. And as you say, like the, like the levels, lots of different levels in a small, a pretty compact area, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's a sort of place that you can ride you go right there one month later and you'll always find little wee, you know, shovel chip marks around the place or a corner's been rebuilt or those yep. sorts of places. And I think the really cool thing about that is people respect um, what's there as well. So you don't you don't ride in the rain there and the tracks are really good and they're well maintained. And and yeah, it's just a, just a great place to ride. You don't need to, again, if you're lucky enough to be in Christchurch, by the time you get there, you can, you can learn a lot of things and ride pretty hard only for an hour and not actually go very far from the car. So yeah, it's really good. Yeah, no, that's right. And is that because you um, need the knee pads, Matt? Is that because you're sending it on some of those downhills? Like you've got to be make sure you're not too far from the car. I haven't needed them yet, but I guess you know this this year taking the level one group has been pretty cool because it's it's really right. challenging those people that you know don't maybe know how to corner properly or use their brakes properly or kind of a bit scared and you kind of get those kind of nervous involuntary noises that come out to start the session. <laughs> then they're woohooing at the end of it. So yeah, really yeah. cool to see those people develop. Yeah, and that's been cool. And, and that five week course, like it's up to, up to week four, you only got one week to go. That's gone really, really quickly, isn't it? Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Over that time. Yeah, no, it's been really cool. So we go up to bottom of Rapaki, up to um, Montgomery Spur next week and have a hoon around there. And that's just a really cool place for people to just put all those skills into practice. So, yeah, yep, we're looking forward to the, the group kind of coming on next year and seeing what people can learn over Christmas from this group and where they're going to ride and, and those sorts of things. So, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I've been doing lots of lots of bike stuff as well with our morning Zwift session, being beaten by Eric Fulton, who's our, our veteran uh, in the veteran category. And I really wanted to beat him on Monday too, but he's got up and snuck his nose out in front of me. No, that was last Friday, uh, but maybe Monday as well. And then also our Wednesday road group. We had uh, like 32 people riding uh, last Wednesday, which is super cool and uh, really cool to get some skills going on, some cornering and bits and pieces. Um, yeah, so yeah. mixing it up on, on the road bike as well. So lots of people riding bikes, which is awesome, isn't it? Yeah, especially this time of year, it's being a bit lighter, a bit later, and uh, yeah, it's just cool to be out. I, I myself have been with a few of those bunch rides on Wednesday nights, and yeah, it's just cool to see all the new people that come along and just want to learn something different. You know, everyone wants to learn something different, whether it's been riding in a bunch or how to climb or how to descend or all those sorts of skills that people use for a whole lot of different events too. So um, yes, it's really, really good to see people coming out and making the effort to come out and learn something and just mm -hmm. get a have a bit of a hit out that you wouldn't normally have by yourself. That's right. That's right. Yep. So, um, yeah, moving on to our show that we've got tonight. So number 62 of our CP Media podcast, which is pretty awesome, Jonathan Kennett and Brett Layden. So Jonathan, just a bit of a background on him. Uh, he's a bit of a pioneer of the mountain biking and cycle touring in New Zealand, the, the whole industry, to be honest. Um, he was riding mountain bikes along with his brother Simon and Peter, uh, sorry, Paul, before mountain bikes were even called mountain yeah. bikes. Um, 
I was thinking about my first mountain bike was a fully rigid number and uh, like well, actually you probably almost call it a, a gravel bike these days but um, as soon as you started putting suspension on it, it uh, um, meant that you went faster and when you hit the tree you just it, it happened faster so it uh, increased it. The suspension was really with the suspension was really based on whether you had 25 psi in your tires or 30, wasn't it? That was, that was <laughs> yeah, whatever. That's one. That's one. So, um, so they've together published nine cycle history books. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about that tonight, and 15 guidebooks, which I've got one of sitting right here. And actually, I'll just show you right now. Um, there was actually Jonathan Kennett signed this in 2013 when I did the Carapodi Classic. So how good is that? Oh. Have you, have um, you so done some other trips out of that book? Uh, there has been a few trips. Yeah, yeah, you can see it's sort of reasonably well thumbed. Um, yep, yep. So he was he was involved in creating the Carapodi along with his brother Paul back in 1986, and has re recently initiated the Tour Aotearoa, a length of New Zealand self-supported bike packing journey. So Jonathan's an advocate for all things cycling. Uh, this afternoon, when I called him, he was out helping building trails and bits and pieces, and uh, just heavily involved in the development of this country cycle trail network, like the the Dunson Trail that's just opened, the West Coast Wilderness, all these all these fantastic cycle network that we're sort of really developing in New Zealand. Yeah. We're going to finish off with Brett Layden. He's a Team CP cycle coach and also operations manager for Adventure South. Uh, and he joins us to talk about cycling adventures and, and some of the different trips they have lined up for the summer ahead. How good is that? That is awesome. I've been lucky enough to be on one of his um, his trips as a bit of a kind of part-time guide. And it was, again, just a really cool time. Three or four days away with some people just from around the countryside that uh, we would do the Old Ghost Road. So that was just a really cool experience to see people that hadn't been or done any of that sort of stuff. Just And it's so varied over that course of the, of the course of those several days. So... Yeah, just really, really cool. And and there's just so many tracks around the place, isn't there? And I guess with the uh, advent of e-bikes and those sorts of things, you're always hearing about people going off riding here and riding there and people that wouldn't normally be out on their bikes. So no, it's just, I guess, for the whole bike and tourism industry in New Zealand, it's just, just amazing assets all around the place. That's right. And if you're watching this live, you'll see that the Evo, Evo Cycles little um, symbols down the bottom right-hand corner, which means that tonight, if you make a comment, uh, ask a question, um, give us some feedback, some feedback is what Rich is trying to say. If he's got a bit of uh, a bit of Kiwi internet, maybe not playing the ball tonight. No, he's still not there. But yeah, again, put your comments in the in the chat, uh, and we can uh, we'll talk about those a bit later on. So if you've got a really good comment there, well, um, you might even win a prize for the night. So let's let's get started and uh, bring Jonathan in. Jonathan, how are we getting on? Hi there. Um, really good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so you're um you're a bit of a legend around this part of the world in, in terms of of bike packing and adventure biking and I guess heading on trails to just see what's around and see how far they go and those sorts of things, right? Yeah, longevity longevity's on my side, that's for sure. I started um, mountain biking as a sixteen year old and um, and have stuck stuck with it. So that was that was first time I rode a mountain bike was in um, 1984 when my older brother Paul bought one of the first 16 bikes that um, Healing Industries bought into the country, um, and it was it was quite a it was quite an interesting thing for me to see at that stage because um, we didn't we hadn't seen anything like that sort of bicycle before. The only reason my brother Paul bought it was because he'd been doing off-road cycling, but doing it on um, 
old bicycles that he'd gone to police auctions and bought. So he'd been he'd been buying these bikes for you know like five or ten dollars from police auctions, and the thing that he broke all of the time were were the front forks, and he knew that he needed something stronger and something better. And when he came home with this with this fat tired machine and it had fifteen gears, which was pretty. That was more gears than I'd ever seen on a bike before. Um, flat handlebars and the brake levers were motorbike, uh, motorbike brake levers. It's it just really fired my imagination, and it obviously um, obviously fired a lot of people's imagination in the following years. I, I guess it was the attitude, was it, of just um, pin it or bin it, was it, and uh, see see how how long it lasts. Uh, yeah, pretty much, absolutely. Yeah, you just go and 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 find out how much you could ride by pushing yeah. it to the limit and then a little bit further. Yeah, cool. Hey, I'm just gonna just gonna break the list. Like we've got Richard back on the line, uh, the Kiwi internet's come back online. You, you there, Rich? Yeah, I am, I am. You might just wanna hang around, Matt, uh, just in case. I'm sure what happened there? Just went into a dark zone through a tunnel. I don't know what's happened. Yeah, you just um, kinda, just like paused for a little bit. So I thought yeah, I'd carry you right. again and see how we got on. Yeah, good, keep doing that. That's fantastic. Um, we've got Thorin. Not here. So you, that's in Lincoln, is it, Matt? No, not here. Anyway, <laughs> I'll, um, I'm going to jump out and let you guys carry on, eh? Nice work. So so, so tell us a, a little bit about, I guess, where your journey. Tell us a bit about your journey and your background, Jonathan. Um, well, I, when I went to university, I just got into the outdoors, joined the tramping club and the caving club and the canoeing club. There wasn't a mountain bike club, but um, in my first year at university or just a little bit before my older brother Paul had bought a mountain bike and my brother Simon was into uh, cycle touring but he started following Paul around on his mountain bike and within a few months he'd broken his cycle touring bike so he then went and bought a, uh, a mountain bike and I was into motorbikes actually uh, as a teenager but I could see that they were having more fun than me so I sold my motorbike and bought a, a mountain bike as well and so in no time at all all three of us were exploring together um, and, and we had to go exploring because there were there were no mountain bike tracks at all in the 1980s they just didn't exist yep. you just had yep. to explore whatever you could find walking tracks tramping tracks pylon tracks four-wheel drive tracks farmland sheep tracks you know anything that you could find and just find out how much how far you could go on a, on a fat tired bicycle yeah so good uh i got into biking more so when i went to university down to Eton, and back in those days we'd ride night rides on some of the walking tracks unofficially now um but that was where you did it because there wasn't really many mountain bike tracks as you say there's it was relatively limited what was what was the at that stage was the negativity towards mountain biking and and you riding on some of these trails or was that sort of almost predating that no it was predating that nobody really knew what what it was that we were riding and there were hardly any of us you know in in the in the 1980s if you saw another person that you hadn't already met on a fat tired bicycle you'd wave to them probably stop and have a chat and find out where they'd been riding and yeah. um yeah. you know so the social scene was was pretty small. You know, the first Carapodi Classic that was in 1986, there were only 45 people. Yep. And, um, you know, 10 years later, there were a thousand people. So the, the growth curve was incredible from 1986 to 1996. You'd almost be saying in the bike industry at that moment, um, a little bit off topic, but you're sort of seeing that again with the, the rise of e-bikes as well. Like actually the way that they're just, just booming at the moment, aren't they? People getting on yeah. bikes again and exploring the country. Absolutely. And um, the other thing that's kind of similar about e-bikes at the moment is that 
um, supply is not keeping up with demand. And that was the same with mountain bikes in the 1980s. That it was it, there weren't enough to go around. People, um, you know, people were wanting them, but the shops and the importers weren't able to bring enough in to to, to meet that demand. And you know, I was talking with um, somebody in the bicycle industry a couple of weeks ago about e-bikes, and they said that they'd gone over to China to negotiate to get extra e-bikes into New Zealand. Wow. And the yep. Chinese factory said, no, sorry, we can't give you any more than you've already got. He said, oh, well, I'll pay you more than you're asking. And they said, no, we still can't give you any more. Wow. Um, the, we just can't get enough computer chips and batteries for, for, for the global demand of e-bikes. Right. That's, that's awesome. Crazy at the same time, isn't it? Just in terms mm. of what that demand actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but awesome at the same time. Um, tell us a little bit more, like about your journey, like um, reading a little bit more about, like you went to the, you're the first to to bike all the way to Everest Base Camp. How did that come about? Um, well, uh, a friend of mine who, who I did a lot of outdoor adventures with, we um, we went to university together, and um, during the holidays, we were talking about what we were going to do after university, and we thought, well, we'll we'll, um, we'll take our mountain bikes and do an OE, and um, we thought we would go into Kathmandu, fly fly pretty much direct to Kathmandu, and then cycle across into Tibet and cycle around a sacred mountain called Mount Kailash. Um, but when we got there, we weren't able to get visas um, because there was unrest in Tibet at that particular point in time. Yep. Um, but we did meet a Sherpa who was into mountain biking, um, a Nepalese man called um, Jimmy Gurung, and he wanted uh, he he wanted to go and bike up to Everest Base Camp, so it was his idea. And we went right. biking with him a couple of times around Kathmandu. He, he guided us around, and and at the end of it, he said, oh, "Yeah, would you guys like to join me um, and go biking up to Everest Base Camp?" And we thought, well, that's a good thing to do while we're waiting to see whether we can or cannot get into Tibet. So um, off we headed with him to uh, to cycle up to, to Everest Base Camp and um, and that ended up being the, actually the biggest adventure of our of our overseas experience. Wow, how good. That's, that's, that's awesome, isn't it? And I think that's one of the key things with, with this whole bikepacking, touring thing. It's actually the, the experience is the journey and getting there, isn't it? Rather than getting to the import and then trying to figure out what you're going to do then when you arrive. Yeah, absolutely. The the journey is um, absolutely key for bike packing. It's like the the, the complete opposite of track cycling. Um, you, you, you you're going out to really to really go somewhere, and yeah. and come back having it having had an experience by bicycle, of course. Um, but you will have seen landscapes and met people and had challenges that um, that that are unique to to, to bike packing. That's right, 100. You've written 15 different guidebooks, and I think I mentioned right at the start that I've got uh, 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 this is version number eight, um, eight uh, of, of, of the, um, the mountain bike rides. Um, of all of those different mountain bikes, like you must have ridden a lot of trails in New Zealand. Like looking at looking at all this, obviously there's a bit of help in putting this together. Yep. But how many of those have you actually rid, ridden yourself? Like, have have you got around most of that book? Yeah, I, I will have ridden over 80% of the rides that are in that book. Um, <clears throat> and at one stage, you know, in the first six or seven editions, I had this goal of riding every mountain bike track in New Zealand. And yeah. that goal was achievable in the first few editions. 
and then people got into building tracks big time <laughs> and um, and it got to the point uh, shortly after that edition was written it got to the point where people were building tracks faster than you could go out and explore them and there are now well over a thousand specific mountain bike tracks in New Zealand and that's just that's just phenomenal so essentially now um, I don't think any individual has a chance of of um, riding all of the mountain bike tracks yeah. in the country. Yes, yes. So, so of the, of those, like maybe reflecting back, have you got a favourite like mountain bike track, and why? Um, well, I know this is uh, well. It is a little bit, but um, you know, I'd, I'd have to say that that the favourite would probably be the old Ghost Road. Okay. And uh, I'm sure that's a lot of people's favourite. It's um, 85 kilometre long single track. Most of it was purpose built um, for for cycling, and takes you into phenomenal scenery. It's a it's a really good challenge, um, but not but not dangerous if you've got the skills. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that there is. But there's there's actually a couple of other tracks on the west coast in that area as well that are that are sort of similar, deliver the same sort of goods as far as I'm concerned, and that's the Heafy track and the Paparoa track, which has been more recently opened. Yeah, yeah, no, so good. Uh, so probably that brings me to my next question: Is is there any that are still on the to-do list, or like a, a, that's that I need to get there and do that one and the high priority? Um, there's one track which I, I try haven't haven't done, which is getting a lot of um, an awful lot of uh, riding at the moment. It's opened earlier in the year, the Lake Dunstan Trail, mm-hmm. and I haven't yet had a chance to get down there, and uh, partly because of COVID. Um, yeah. But I've I've got that on. I've, I've got a big trip planned. And uh, this summer, which will take in the the Lake Dunstan Trail, so that's a, for those who don't know, that's a trail that goes from Clyde to Bannockburn and Cromwell, um, and it's it's beside Lake Dunstan. It's had a, a section of trail built around a cliff edge on a on a cantilevered boardwalk, um, big suspension bridges. It's really really stunning scenery. It's Grade Three, uh, so it's relatively easy, but still just stunning scenery. And um, it's the only ride of the you know the new zealand cycle trail great rides that i haven't ridden yeah yeah yeah. and i i I love that in the fact of lots of people heading down to do that recently and and it's a destination isn't it like let's go and do that that's part of our holiday like to go and ride that particular trail which is so good isn't it that the amount of investment and time and energy putting into making something actually really special um and in terms of the way that they've made that section around that piece of rock overhang overhanging the lake it's incredible isn't it yeah, yeah, they've done a fantastic job. The designer was um, uh, a local guy down there called Tim Dennis, um, and he had designed some of the other great rides in that area as well, the Clutha Gold and the Lake Dunstan uh, and the um, Roxburgh Gorge Trail. And um, I, I think Tim's now quite clearly one of the master trail builders in New Zealand. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so you've been heavily involved in the Cycle Trail Network from as it's been uh, built and 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 the sort of cycle touring element of these um, these I guess journeys. As what are you currently working on, and also what would you like to see developed in the future? Um, well, what I'm currently working on is is connecting all of the all of the rides together. So. Yeah. Um, there's 23 great rides, and they, there's around about 2,800 kilometres of those of those great rides, mm-hmm. um, and they're being extended. I don't know, probably by about 50 kilometres a year. Yeah. Um, 
And then on top of that, there are um, there are 30 heartland rides, and the heartland rides are predominantly on-road, but there are bits of off-road um, amongst them. And that's around about 3,500 kilometres heartland rides. So together, we've got 63% of the complete network, which will be about 10,000 kilometres when it's completed. So we're going to have a completed New Zealand cycle trail network in five or ten years. I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to take. Um, a 10,000 kilometre network which will be connected around the country and will enable you to um, basically to plan a trip from almost wherever you want to go to, uh, to the next place via yep. some really, really awesome riding opportunities. So that's, that's my, I guess that's the, the main thing that I'm working on at the moment. Yep. And is there any sort of key developments happening or, or things are going to open up in the near future that uh, maybe you could uh, give us an inside scoop on? Um, uh, there's there's a, a lot of funding has been approved for for connecting the great rides that are in the Otago Southern Lakes okay. District. So there's there's money for the Lake Dunstan Trail, for example, to be pushed through the Kaurau Gorge to the right. Queenstown network. Now, when that happens, that's right. going to be another phenomenal ride yes. but that whole yeah. network of rides is going to connect around otago and southern lakes and it'll, it'll be just over a 500 kilometer connected off-road network in that part of new zealand and that, that's that's bloody significant really it's a long way yeah absolutely and that will take in all the otago rail trail all the way up to the Dunedin, just about won't it yeah 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 it'll be the otago rail trail the roxburgh gorge the Queenstown Trails, the Clutha Gold, and the Clutha Gold at the moment is being extended from Lawrence down to Milton and into Lake Waihola. And okay, then yep. from Lake Waihola, there's going to be a Heartland ride uh, that takes you through to Dunedin. Right, right. So good, so good. That's fantastic. Um, what's Speaking of bikepacking, is there a piece of bikepacking equipment that you just won't leave home without? My bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we should something that just makes your journey a little bit better in terms of when you're when you're on the bike or when you're camping at the end of the day. Um, well, one of the things that would be easy to forget, um, which which I which I never haven't yet on a really long trip, would be chamois cream. Uh, okay. So that's a critical thing to take with you. But otherwise, yeah. I guess thinking about. Um, you know the 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 bespoke bags that you can that you can have built mm. to fit your bag. I have a I have a really good frame bag made by a local uh, Wellington company called Stealth, um, okay. and it fits perfectly in my frame. So yeah. that's one of the things that I always strap onto my bike if I'm doing any overnight trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, and that just means that it's I guess it's central where the weight's being carried, isn't it? So it helps your bike handling as you're riding some yeah, of those but, more trickier spots. Yeah, but there is there is um, a, uh, an odd thing that I do, uh, which which some people copy, but not many. And that is, if I'm going to do a really long trip, and um, I'll usually find some snow foam, uh, some thin snow foam, and right. tape it around my tape it around my handlebars and my barings, um, yep. because as as you probably heard, one of the worst things that can happen that you don't expect to happen when you're bikepacking is you can get nerve damage in your hands from the right. constant pressure if you're doing long long hours you know 12 or 13 hours then you can yep. get nerve damage in your hands so if i wrap some snow tape some snow foam around there um to start with and it changes actually changes shape over the days and that's 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 a good thing because the pressure yep. the pressure points change as well 
I guess that's especially on gravel type sections and, and, and the jarring of that. Is that when that tends to happen more? Yeah, the gravel in particular, because if you're on really rough stuff, then you're moving around and changing your hand position so much that that doesn't happen. Um, and if you're on roads, then it's smooth enough that you won't get the, the amount of vibration that will cause that problem. Yeah, yeah, nice. Any advice for beginners? Hey, I want to sort of get into the swing of this and see if I can do a, I guess, a, it's really talking about overnight, aren't we? Like actually getting out and riding a bike, putting staying overnight and then riding back again or, or, or a journey from A to B. Any advice yep. for people that are looking to try and get into that? Yep. Um, look, the key thing is to try and keep it fun. You know, to yep. just, just recognize that you're out there to enjoy yourself. And yep. so pick trips that you wanted to do for a while and and make those your training trips rather than uh, rather than going out and doing something that's um, that's for a particular length of time or or um, or a particular amount of uh, altitude instead try and pick a trip that has the necessary attributes but more important than that is a classic trip in its own right preferably not the course that you're training for so that yeah. you don't become stale on that and just keep yeah. on doing different trips and getting that variety so that you're so that you're really enjoying all of the time on the bike rather than just working towards it towards one trip in the distance that you hope you're going to enjoy yeah and it's about developing your systems over that time isn't it how you pack your bike how what gear you actually don't need because it's often that's the thing actually and that makes your trip so much more enjoyable as well yeah you've got to you've got to travel as light as possible eat as much as possible and get to the point where your packing is just can be just done on autopilot because you know yeah. every piece of kit that you've got has its place in yeah. one of your one of your bags and you may make the decision and I would recommend it that your handlebar bag has your um, has your lightweight things in it such as your sleeping bag and maybe your lightweight tent and then that's all that goes in the handlebar bag so you know that's that's all that's in there Yep. When you get to somewhere and you need something else, that's not in the front handle bag. That's that's in this other place that you know where your chamois cream or your sunblock is or those things that you need throughout the day as you're riding. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a credit card tourer, or are you, or would you prefer to take your own food? And if so, uh, what do you recommend? Um, I'm a bit of a hybrid, um, so I, I definitely take my credit card and I try and travel as light as possible. But if the trip uh, but I won't be stopped by doing a trip just because there isn't enough accommodation for me to, to be going without a tent. So for something like Copico from East Cape to, to, to Cape Egmont, um, it's pretty hard to do that without a, without a tent. It's not impossible, but it's hard. And so I'm likely to take a tent on that. Uh, whereas a trip like Tour Aotearoa, the second time I did that, I didn't take a tent or a bivy bag. Instead, I just traveled down the country, booking a couple of days ahead. And when I got to a situation a couple of times in the South Island where the weather forecast was perfect, yeah. um, I just went to a garage and bought a $20 tarp and okay. strapped that on the back of my bike, headed off into the hills and just camped under the stars for the night in, in perfect weather conditions. And then when I, when I got to the next town, I just give the tarp away and carry on cycling. How good is that? That's a great advice. That's awesome. Um, tell us about the the North Island trip, the Copico trip. Um, so, Copico, uh, Copico is Māori word meaning wandering, going back and forth. And 
it goes either, you cannot start from either end, but um, the first time I did it, I started from East Cape and traveled across the center of the North Island to Cape Egmont. That's uh, 1,070 kilometers long. It's very hilly. So in a, in a way, it's actually harder than Tor Aotearoa because it's, um, it's got so much climbing in it. it. But if you like climbing, like I do, then uh, you absolutely love it, you know. Um, yeah. And it's, it's quite remote and you really get into heartland New Zealand. You know, you, there's potential there to stay in quite a few farm stays and get good hearty meals at night and, and, a, and a comfortable bed. So um, it's, a, it's a real Kiwi experience. Yep, yep. And so you've helped set up the Tuati, right? And this is sort of, you've helped piece together the Pico trip as well, have you, in terms of this is the... Yeah. This is the yep. Um, so the, the background for Tuatira was that um, for six years I was working as a project manager on the New Zealand cycle trails from 2010 onwards. And um, I, in amongst the team I was in, I knew more about where you could go cycling in New Zealand than anyone else in the team. So when overseas people asked, as they often did, they often asked the question, how do I cycle from one end of the country to the other? And to start with, the answer wasn't actually that appealing. There's a lot of road riding. Um, yeah. But as the great roads were built and more and more, there became more and more opportunities to go off onto gravel roads, quiet gravel roads, the answer that I was giving to these overseas people was getting better and better. And after yep. five years, the answer was so good that I thought, oh, I've got to do this ride myself. It looks awesome yeah. now. Yeah. Um, you know, you can take in nine great rides and, um, and yeah. about a similar number of Heartland rides. So I put it out there on Facebook and within a day, there were, there were another 100 people who wanted to join me and eventually 260 people um, lined up at, at Cape Reinga to ride 3,000 kilometers, which I thought was nuts. You know, I just thought mm. these, these people don't know what they're letting themselves in for. Half of them won't make it to Bluff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but actually 93% um, of them made it to Bluff. Uh, yeah. I was really impressed and it completely sold me on, on Tour Aotearoa, you know, and, and a lot of other people as well just sort realized what a fantastic experience that was. So tell us about like you've kind of structured it, don't you? Like you enter at this day, like you can start on these days, and you've got this length of time to be able to ride it in. So tell us, like, why is that? What's what's the rationale behind? It? Okay, well, um, you probably know that the the organizer of the the Tour de France, Henry de Grange, he organized the Tour de France through to 1937, and one of the other things he did, did that he's not very well known for was he wrote and created the, the rules for brevet events. So, okay. and brevets were designed in France for people who had retired from serious racing, but yep. had some serious fitness behind them and still wanted to go out and challenge themselves. And yep. the brevet format was that you, um, that you would ride from the start to a checkpoint stop, sign in, wait for everyone, cycle to the next checkpoint, sign in, and, and you did this throughout a very, very long, uh, course yeah. and um, the idea for Tour Aotearoa is very similar you have to go you have to follow a particular course uh, oh the other thing about the brevet is that you you weren't allowed to go too slow or too fast so there were time there were time limits at the at the slow end and the fast end and if you couldn't if you couldn't go fast enough then you were out and if you went too fast you were out as well so I copied that to encourage people to sleep and actually enjoy the ride rather than just thrash themselves for days on end? That's the point for, yeah, that's exactly the point for Tour Aotearoa because 
Um, I've, you know, I've got this um, rule that you have to stop uh, for at least six hours every day. You have to stop in one place. And that's, a, that's not only for safety, but it's also for people's own enjoyment. So the fastest you, you're allowed to do Tore Aotearoa in is, uh, is uh, 10 days, and the slowest is uh, 30 days. So if you can cycle 100 k's a day, then you can do um, then you can do Tore Aotearoa. Uh, and the fastest people are essentially wickedly wickedly fit. You know they're at Olympic level. They're cycling yeah. 300 kilometers a day on mixed terrain. And on very on, on six hours sleep, they'll that's the, this, they'll only stop for that amount. As soon as six hours is done, they're off. And that's madness. But that's what uh, turns that gets people out of bed in the morning. So good luck to them, and, and um, we'll we'll be impressed by them as well. That's that's awesome. That's good. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, are you a solo rider, or do you prefer riding with groups? Um, I look. I I definitely prefer riding with group groups. And um, yeah. the first. When I was 19, I did do a solo ride from Wellington up to Cape Brianga and back down to Auckland, and I got sick of my own company. And that, that was a, one of those early life lessons. That I realised, oh, I'm not actually a rock. I'm not an island. Uh, yeah. I do like to speak to at least one other person during the day. Um, and in Tour Aotearoa, the first year I did it, I I, I entered as a solo uh, as a solo rider, but it did. But I was spending time riding with people for um, at least 50% of the time, and I made half a dozen really good friends uh, throughout the event. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. You must have had some pretty epic missions. Are there some standouts or a standout? Sometimes the most epic missions are, haven't exactly gone to plan either, so it might not be sort of uh, what you've what you've planned for. But um, in hindsight, it actually makes for a good story. Have you got a standout that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, I've been benighted um, a few times, but uh, I'd have to say the worst, which which is a bit of a standout, um, but makes for a great story, is um, me and my brothers decided to, we were to to ride to the bridge to nowhere long before you know before anyone else had ridden to the bridge to nowhere. So this was back in the 1980s, and we caught the train up to Oakuni and slept under a tree, um, and then the next morning we cycled as far as we could towards the bridge to nowhere and that was okay things were really really rough on that track at that time um, yeah. we had a couple of crashes and I bent my frame and then the next day we managed to cycle the rest of the track so people are going to laugh now because this only takes a couple of hours now but we cycled the rest of the track into the bridge to nowhere and went down to the Mangapurua landing and we um, we'd carried in truck tubes with us and we right. built a raft out of four truck tubes and we this made awesome. paddles out of string and branches and we strapped the we took the bikes apart and strapped the three bikes to the to the back and then we had one tube each to sit in and right. then the next morning we, we got into the river with our bikes in the in the raft and we started floating down and my brother simon had planned the trip and he'd been told by a kayaking friend that it took eight hours to get down to Papariki. But of course, that was eight hours in a kayak. <laughs> we, had, we had no idea what we were letting ourselves in for. And after um, after about three or four hours, a, um, a ranger came along in a jet boat. Um, and I must admit that by this stage, we didn't have much food left. And we had no idea where we were. And um, after chatting a bit, and he was quite surprised. We chatted for a bit. And at the end, he said, um, oh, we said, we said, oh, how long do you think it'll take us to get to Papariki? we were relying on being at Papariki for dinner that night because we only had a couple of bits of bread and a 
couple of bits of bread, a muesli bar and a soup sachet left. Um, and, and he said, oh, at that rate, uh, probably three or four days. <laughs> and then he, said, uh, then he said, have you boys got enough food? And we just lied. And we said, yep, yep, we're fine. Thanks very much. <laughs> he took off on his jet boat and we carried on down the river. But as soon, as soon as he was out of sight, that was it. We were paddling our guts out for the rest of the day. And we didn't yeah. get out of the, we didn't make it to Pabariki that night. We ended up paddling down in the dark with um, all we could see were stars and some glowworms on the banks every now and again and a bit of white water. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we tipped out at one stage in one of the one oh. of the last rapids. And uh, luckily there was a landing that's long since gone now, but it was about five k's upstream of Pabariki. We stopped for the night and we had one soup sachet for dinner. So we made that up and it shared the... Yeah. The, the one Maggi soup sachet and then the next morning we had the muesli bar and very in our family the rule was I cut you choose so yes. the muesli bar was very yeah. very carefully cut into three pieces then <laughs> yeah. the others chose and then we cycled 60 kilometers on that muesli bar um, and by the time we got to um, the first town my, my, I was, I was so starved that I could hardly eat. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, Richard, yeah. but you know yeah, we've yeah, been yeah. going for hours, and eventually we got some food. I almost threw up, but we got some food into ourselves, and then we had to cycle from there, which was near Wanganui, to Martin to catch the three o'clock train to get back to Wellington, and um, <laughs> it wasn't very long after we were on the train before we were planning the next trip. It's so good. So, over how many days and nights was that in the end? Uh, so that was three, three, three and a half days. Three and a half. So, you, so the, yeah, the, yeah. And two, two, two days, two days cycling into the bridge to nowhere, which now you yes. do in day, no worries. And yeah. then one day down the river, and then another day until three o'clock. So almost actually four days really, um, yeah. through, through to Martin. I think that was a hundred or hundred and twenty k's all up. Yeah. No cell phones in those days either. No cell phones. We we there was you wouldn't even there was no no lifeline whatsoever. You know if something had gone wrong, um, we would have been. You had to look after yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah so good. As you say, it makes for a good story. And I'm pleased as you flipped out that uh, the bike stayed attached as well. That would have made a. Uh, another level of uh, story as well. So you just, it feels like you just about need to go and recreate that one now. Just about do. You? I don't think we we could. We couldn't. We, we know too much. We, could, yeah, we, couldn't, we couldn't possibly do that again. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, and, and enjoy it. Good stuff. Um, you've got a new book out as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, this is a bit of a, an unusual one, but um, we decided that we would celebrate the New Zealand um, bicycle manufacturing industry by telling the story of 60 New Zealand-made bicycles. And... Um, ranging from the one of the very very first bicycles made in 1869 through yep. to the present day um because you know bicycles are still being made in new zealand but the, the the phases of the new zealand cycling industry have changed uh hugely from one era to another um and these bicycles tell that story so it's a coffee table book there's over 300 photos in there of the of the different bicycles and it's sort of just a relaxing way of of being able to see um, what's been built, how it's been built, who's built it, um, and for for bike geeks, I didn't think I was a bike geek until I wrote this book. Now I am definitely yeah. uh, self 
uh, yeah, confirm Bike Geek. For Bike Geeks, yep. it's, the, it's the sort of book that you delve into and you just spend ages going, oh, wow, far out. I can't believe that somebody thought to do that and that they were, you know, that somebody was able to build a full suspension mount, a full suspension bicycle in 1889. You know, when I found that bicycle, it was kind of like, I just can't believe what I'm looking at. And there are a whole bunch of bikes throughout throughout the last 150 years where that people look at and go, we really, we made those. Those were made in New Zealand. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and way before the, the, the time that they were due. So this was, are these bikes that are still about now that you went to research and yeah. find? Is that, and then you've written up and find out more about them. And yeah. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes the, um, like that full suspension bike, for example, nobody knew that was made in New Zealand until, um, until the first COVID lockdown. And then the person who owned the bike thought, oh, well, I've got some spare time in my hands. I'm, I'm going to really just do my best job to try and figure out where this bicycle came from. And sure. he, so he was detailing it, you know, he was cleaning it down to the nth degree and he found these tiny little stamped letters that said Wallaby Patent. And so he thought, okay, okay. Well, I'm going to check the New Zealand patents just to see could this possibly have been made in New Zealand. And yeah. sure enough, he eventually found the patent drawings, printed them out, looked at the bicycle he had in his garage and went, yep. That is a wallaby, and then he did, then he was able to go on to papers past, and he found out where it was made, who made it, when it was made, that it won an award and an exhibition down in Dunedin, and who ended up owning that that bicycle and how it made its journey from um, from being manufactured in Christchurch to ending up in his garage. Wow, that's awesome. That is pretty cool. Um, I could listen to you for hours, Jonathan, and and some of your stories. I think. Um, I was having a wee giggle to myself and you're telling your story about rafting down the river and I'm sure there's a lot of people say, oh, I've got this hell of a story. It's like, probably don't ask that question, Jonathan, no, you'll like trump you every time. There's some crazy adventures out there that people have had. Yeah, so um, one of the questions is from our viewers tonight. Um, do you prefer a gravel bike or a mountain bike? I guess it probably depends where you're going. but uh... um, It does depend where I'm, where I'm going. Um, I, I actually quite like both, so I've, I've had a couple of uh, gravel bikes and have enjoyed that. Um, to me, the gravel bike brings back that feeling of cycle touring because of the drop bars, so I really like that. Um, but if I'm doing, because I'm getting a little bit older now, you know, I'm in my 50s and I need a, a little bit of comfort, having some suspension on the front is really valuable um, for both gravel roads and, and off-road. So for something like Tour Aotearoa, you could do Tour Aotearoa on a gravel bike, but it would be better if you were A, young, and B, quite skilled, you know, actually actually quite skilled. So in the first year, there was a guy who, who did it on a cyclocross bike, and he loved it, but he had also been a champion mountain biker. So he had those skills that meant he could take a cyclocross bike and enjoy himself on rough tracks. Um, but, uh, you know, if you need the comfort, if you need a bit of extra comfort, then having more volume in your tyres, if you're on a gravel bike, or having uh, some front suspension or at least a little bit of handlebar suspension um, does make a big difference. And comfort is king on those long rides. Yeah, yeah definitely. I guess it's interesting when you see all these different events around the place, what what uh, machines people turn up with. Don't you? I remember doing Pioneer, we passed this guy that was on a single speeder, clanking up to the snow farm, it's just like, man, what are you doing? But, you know, he was there to enjoy himself and, and you know, hats off to him, he made it through the course, so, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Good on them too. Hey, um, thanks very much for your time on the show tonight. Uh, as I said, we could listen to you for hours, and um, it's really, really exciting to hear what's going on behind the scenes around uh, New Zealand trail networks and those sorts of things. And I think all it does is just fizzes us up to get out and ride our bikes and get in the car and go somewhere and put the keys away and just head out on two wheels. Well, the the lucky thing for us in, in New Zealand is that there are more mountain bike tracks and more trails being built all the time. We're not going to run out of new experiences to have, and the quality is getting better and better every year. So we're incredibly lucky to be living in New Zealand at this time. Yeah. Yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish off with a quick five uh, questions for you, Jonathan, just to wrap things up, get a bit more sure. of a... You know, yeah, have to answer quickly and um, not think about it too much. But I okay. kick off with a favourite dessert. What's your favourite dessert? Uh, cheesecake. Good. A fancy. Does that go at the back of the panniers? You can buy you can buy cheesecakes from the supermarket that you make up uh, in the hills. Yep. They're quite fun. My question to that was going to be: How long does a cheesecake last in the back country? I know how long a custard square lasts, but never tried a cheesecake for longevity. Uh, you have to make it. You, you 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 buy the mixture and you make it uh, when you get oh, to your campsite. I'd be more thinking that you buy the is it um, Sarah Sarah whatever it is you know. And you, Sarah Lee Sarah, Sarah Lee, Lee they're good. Chop it up and away you go. Yeah. Um, a fancy a fancy meal in or a, or a fancy meal out. Home cooked meal. Uh, I quite like a fancy meal in if I've been riding a long distance. So one of the um, unusual things about me is I'm a vegetarian until I've cycled 70 kilometres, and then I'm a meat eater. <laughs> Brilliant. I'd go along with that. Yep. What's your favourite snack to eat while out on an adventure? Um, oh, I find it hard to go past a banana. Um, I used to be into one square meals big time, but I've OD'd on them, and, and I, I, oh, I have to be pretty desperate to eat a one square meal now, <laughs> but I can still not pack a banana. <laughs> What have you got next, Brad? Uh, that was me. Uh, what's your go-to breakfast? Uh, go-to breakfast. Um, well, if I have to carry something, then it'll be something just like just like muesli with milk powder in it, and then I just chuck the water in. Um, if that's if that's if I have to carry something on the go. But if I'm if I'm riding and I can um, stop at a hotel or something, to be honest, I can't eat a really big breakfast and then ride. Uh, I know a lot of people will love the bacon and eggs and everything, but I, I find that quite tricky. So I'd prefer to have a light breakfast of toast um, and a smoothie or orange juice or something, and then ride, work work up an appetite, and then have a second breakfast once my appetite's So, um, so you've moved on from your one-third of a muesli bar for breakfast then? <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> that was desperate. Nice. And uh, to finish up, what's your favourite ride? Ah, uh, look... It's Torre Aotearoa, mm -hmm. and, and and the funny thing is, last week me and my brothers we were meeting with with Ashley Bloomfield. He's a keen mountain biker as well, and we we just met with him to you know say thanks for all he's doing and give him a couple of books. And he asked us one at a time, um, "What's your favourite ride?" He asked that exact same question, and my brother Simon answered first. And he said, "Oh, Torre Aotearoa." Then 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 I was asked, "Oh, it's Torre Aotearoa for me too." And then Paul was asked. And, uh, hate to be unoriginal, but it was Torre Aotearoa. <laughs> so um, yeah, we all did them at, at, at different times, and but we all we all love Torre Aotearoa. You know, long live long rides. That's that's what I say. Brilliant, brilliant. Really cool. uh, hey, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time and enthusiasm yeah. and sharing all your stories and and uh, little snippets of gold and and everything you've given us tonight. Really, really appreciate that, and and uh, keep doing the wonderful work you're doing. And and uh, yeah, I look forward to catching up again soon.
You're welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks John. Thanks, See you. Bye-bye. So um, where are we going biking tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely yeah. need to bike ride. And uh, cycle touring is so good. It's the best way to, well, bikepacking, as I should call it now. I've told I was old by calling it cycle touring. But um, just the best way to go and go and have a good adventure, isn't it? We rode as a family the uh, rail trail earlier this year. And uh, we Fletch on his little wheels. It was seven, did the whole lot of it. And uh um, and and just got a good system up with the kids, and they loved it. It was so good. But yeah. I think the key thing is, as Jonathan was saying, is just don't rush. Uh, try and make it yeah. fun, and uh, and food is key. As long as you're eating well and having stops when you need to, then then it's good. Everyone's happy. Yeah, and I guess I mean, I guess we've done a lot of riding together, and there's always yeah. that kind of enjoyment about going and beating yourself up for 12 hours and seeing how far we can get out in backcountry, which is which yeah. is a lot of fun. But I guess to to turn that around and say, well, if you take that same trip and do over two or three days, you just see so much more and it's a bit more relaxed. And mm -hmm. sure, you've got to take a bit of gear with you, but um, completely different experience, isn't it? Oh, and we've uh, done some trips over three days and you do become quite relaxed after the third day. You, you're not so fizzed yeah. up. You kind of calm down <laughs> after a bit, don't you? And, and oh, well, we'll just go slow today. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, we've got um, Brett on the show, eh? Should we bring him in? Yeah, should we, should we bring Brett? Yep, speaking of adventures and getting out yeah. about... Uh, Brett, uh, we've done a couple of adventures with you in the past as well. Um, and uh, I guess with your job Adve now, adventures. <laughs> with adventures. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, and, um, fantastic to hear yeah. Jonathan's uh, stories because it sounds like um, yeah, some of the things he's relating to, like you said, Matt, we can kind of relate to, but perhaps on a slightly lesser scale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem so impressive now, does it? It was impressive at the time, but pretty, pretty mediocre, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that either means that we've got we've got to step up a few few gears or um, just accept what we've got what we've got. Yeah, well that's Even right. Well, I guess that's a good thing. Is sometimes that um, you don't necessarily find your adventures, do you? They find you. So <laughs> we're just going to put yourself <laughs> in the right position and uh, and uh, it's game on. Yeah, that's for sure. Good stuff. Um, tell yeah. us what's your role with Adventure South, Brett? You are also a uh, CP cycle coach, and you um, you lead our Sunday bunch ride, and you have done for a number of years, and and helped a whole big range of people learn to ride their bikes and enjoy enjoy riding their bikes as well. You're also a full time with Adventure South. What do you do there? Yeah, that's a good question, Rich. And um, I think kind of Team CP was sort of part of my evolution because I was working with road bike groups and mountain bike groups with Team CP, and then. Um, I sort of got a connection and, and talked about guiding and uh, was also working with groups of people, but, you know, out on the road and doing multi-day trips. Um, but very similar in that you take a group of people and you're looking to share an experience and, and um, you know, sometimes build some skills along the way, but, uh, you know, show off, in the case of guiding, showing off our country. And it was a lot of fun and there's some, a lot of nice cafes. And as we said earlier in the piece, you know, New Zealand's a, a fantastic place to be so um so I, I enjoyed the guiding and for a while i sort of worked that in with the coaching and then i was lucky enough to get a role um in the office with adventure south so i've got an operations manager role now and just kind of looking after our team of guides we've got a brilliant team on board and i think it's one of the things that makes um you know adventure south sort of super special for me is that uh, the people that we connect with and the people that we um you know, get in front of a group of people as they go on trips around the country. And they're just fantastic. And, and mm -hmm. it's a really nice way to um, to connect 
with sort of regions where having you know you're sort of having your own experience you're making your own way through an environment like you might do on a back bike packing trip but when you've got someone who's can kind of show you the way and can take you to some fantastic out of the way accommodation and perhaps a station for example and introduce you to you know the station owners and get an introduction to that piece of land and and hear some of the stories behind it it's a pretty cool way to kind of get a sort of a deeper connection um mm-hmm. as you kind of you know on your trip so um yeah i've been very fortunate and, and eventually i'll do some fantastic trips and it's great hearing from jonathan because um their copico is kind of um that they've put together he was talking about earlier um from taramaki through to east cape was um is one that we're, we're actually running now and it's um it's almost like the the, the new world of um it's sort of come around in a circle in a way that's old school mountain biking you know um on those sort of gravel roads but we're back on it again and we're doing it now as an adventure and it's not just for a few hours we're actually out there all day and we're you know enjoying some of these beautiful locations along the way and um staying somewhere cool and then getting up the next day and doing it all over again so um it's great that he's been one of the trailblazers you know setting up some of those courses and kind of letting us know um you know some of the great ways that we can get out and see the country so it's a journey as well isn't it it's from a to b so there's a reason to get up and do it again tomorrow as you're you're slowly making your way there over how many days is that trip that you've got organized yes we do it over 14 days so you know jonathan was talking of sort of about 100 k's a day and that's kind of a similar target that that we have for we have a day off in the middle to just recharge a little bit which is kind of cool when you're doing a um you know a long trip it's good to have a day we we yep. going well, actually no i'm not going to get on the bike today or <laughs> if yep, i do maybe just bit. to go down to the local cafe um and yep. just go do something else for a little bit mm-hmm. um but uh yeah i think that sense of journey is is is, is really cool and i guess it's a yep. bit like a race in a way isn't it you know and, and that you have your start line and your finish line and that's your motivation but you've got all these experiences mm-hmm. um along the way and it's just um you know, compared to a, a race which is maybe sort of over one day, you've got that opportunity to kind of share your stories that night and, and, and then um, get into it again the next day. And, and tra- traversing through the landscape in, in New Zealand too is just amazing. You know, the, the East Cape beaches are sort of so far away from, the, you know, the, the, um, the timber trail in the centre of the North mm-hmm. Island. Um, yeah. it, you know, and the communities that are living here are just so different too, but they all sort of, the writing in the way is the stuff that links it all together because it kind yes. of allows you to show how these really different regions can actually are all part of a, a pretty cool um country and a pretty cool yep. trip so i mean we could like it's uh, jonathan is sort of opening up and opening people's idea like um the ideas of what we can actually do but i guess what your job is is to help support people into this they haven't done it before or actually i've just want to even put a date on it that that's when it's going to happen because they're with you what, what are some ways that you look to support clients that come on these trips yeah absolutely right i mean uh, you can sort of uh, i think those kind of trips that jonathan's talking about uh you know you can do it two ways you can kind of build up your experience and go off and do it and yep. have an adventure and, and, and that's fantastic and but you can also um if you're time poor um you know it's helpful to go on a trip because you, you're not going to waste time trying to find your accommodation or you know uh, you, and you'll you'll yep. get the best you know some of the best places to stay um mm-hmm. you get to meet some great people you can sort of switch off a little bit yep. just enjoy the riding and not worry about the logistical side of it um there's a band there so you know if you do have a 
a bike issue or if you decide that maybe you'll just get a wee lift to the top of this hill and then cruise down mm -hmm. the other side of it then you know it's kind of can make it a quite a relaxed experience for maybe someone who doesn't have the kind of the hardcore um you know riding background or like you said there's a little bit um you know time for yep yeah no that's awesome what level do you have to be at do you like do you take sort of anybody or what what happens with uh sort of the level have you got indications of you should be able to do this before you come on the trip or yeah absolutely. so yeah we've got three um yeah we've got three um kind of uh bike packing trips on on offer at the moment and they're both great they're graded either grade four or grade five and yep. um so that grading for us is sort of grade four is kind of 60 to 80 sort of k's a day and um grade five sort of 70 to 90 k's and, and that you might be getting up to a thousand meters of climbing um for the grade five and the grade four sort of just below that so um if you want to ride every kilometer that's what's involved in it but the cool thing with um these bike patterns a lot of it is on the gravel road so you you can have support and you can bail out and you can say hey you know i might just ride the morning today and and, and jump out so it's not like the ghost road where you sort of once you're in you're committed yeah. um you know you can cherry pick from the experience which is cool because say if you want to go with your partner maybe um your partner doesn't ride quite so much and you can ride the whole thing and he or she can can just you know ride bits and pieces and jump the van where they want to and hang out with the guide for a little bit um so you can still have a fantastic holiday away and still be on your bike and and, and doing all the enjoyable stuff but maybe not doing some of the stuff that might uh, cause you suffering if you had to do it by yourself yeah, that's right. Or arguments as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Less likely for that to happen. Uh, you've done a whole bunch of um, uh, riding yourself. Like you've uh, part of your job, I guess, is working some of these trips and sussing them out how they're actually going to be put together and how how it works. So, what's your one piece of equipment that you wouldn't leave home without? That's not your bike. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, the bike is obviously a good one. Um, I did have something I was going to say, but uh, I was just out for a ride tonight and it reminded me of a vital piece of equipment, which is your bike pump. So um, right. luckily this time I did have it with me. And uh, yeah, that's, it's good to have a pump and um, and a few little tools to go with it if, if you're by yourself. Yeah, um, yes, yes, yes. I've, yeah I, I have got another wee favourite too, and it's on Jonathan's line. He was kind of talking about how you have a certain place for everything on your bike. Yes. And there's a really cool little bag that's called a feed bag that sits sort of on your handlebars. It's a little cylinder, and um, it's brilliant. You can you can uh, it takes like a sandwich, a few muesli bars, maybe okay. a raincoat. Um, yeah. You can squeeze a camera in there. There's room mm -hmm. on the side of it to put some lube, some chamois cream, a bit of yep. sunblock. It's kind of like mm -hmm. everything you could need at this moment is is exactly there. So um, yes. yeah, oh, I love my little uh, my little feed bag. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Favorite ride for you, Brett? Um, the Capico was, uh, I've got to say, was a doozy. Um, yeah. I, I, the year before, I'd been over in France and done the Divide, which is a really cool north to south trip through France, and that was absolutely mind blowing. And um, I came back into the Copico the following um, uh, season and um, absolutely loved it, you know, just uh, Jonathan said Heartland and that kind of summed it up for me too, just meeting really cool people along the way and just making these great connections through this awesome landscape. It's, it's a fantastic journey and, and I do like climbing to be fair, but I did also think that a lot of the gradients aren't too bad, you know, they, they're gravel roads, so they don't sort of pitch them up quite like they might do if it's a sealed road, um, but you yes. are going up and down a lot. 
but because of that, those gravel roads go into some, you know, some brilliant um, parts of the country. So yeah, it's a winner, the Copico. It's a real winner. Yeah, brilliant. We've we've talked a bit tonight about cycle touring and uh, bike packing and that sort of stuff, but there's also kind of one one part of touring we haven't talked about, which is the old hiker bike. Now I've I've been lucky enough to be on some of Brett's trips, and there's a there's a what tips would you give Brett for carrying a bike? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's um I think I've found my spiritual homeland at, at Adventure South actually, Matt, because I think it's key to, it's key to have adventure in your uh, in your job description, <laughs> and uh, I think hike and bike kind of fits that, and uh, and it gives you memories too, doesn't it? And it's all about memories, really. So. Um, it's all about I don't know if we'll give, give any tips because I think it's kind of just something you just got to make up as you go and, and enjoy the experience, isn't it? <laughs> it definitely, it, it definitely makes it all about the journey rather than the destination, doesn't it? That's right, and the conversations have along the way. You know, you might, the language might be more colourful, but it's a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as the track slowly disappears. And the, the right. no track right. this bike is becoming a hindrance as I try to get stuck through the trees I'm carrying it. Yes, well, that's right. I think all, all the things we've been talking about tonight are the fact that um, the adventure, you know, the track is always something that's quite subjective. You know, it kind of looks like a track. I'm sure it possibly is a track. So let's, let's see where it goes. That's all part of it. Um, yeah. Let's have, um, let's throw five quick questions at Brito. Shall we? Yep, um, go for it. Brett, what's your uh, favourite multi-sport discipline? Multi-sport? Um, I think, yeah, the biking. I just, yeah, biking for me. Yep. Uh, favourite ice cream flavour, Brett? Oh, yeah, it's got to be double or triple chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Quadruple uh, chocolate was a thing, it'd be that. If I had quadruple, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, size large. Um, what, uh, a fancy meal out or a home-cooked meal? I think home-cooked, eh, yeah. Can't be a good home cooked meal. It's nice to go up, but yeah, brilliant. What's your favourite snack to eat while out on an adventure, Brett? Fun snack food is um is is kind of anything that I've got really because I tend to go quite light. So often I don't take stuff. So whenever I do, it's always a bonus. That I go, oh, that's brilliant. I'll put a wee. <laughs> it might be just a marmite sandwich or something, but if you're out in the back somewhere, all of a sudden you go, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, better, and better, that's why it? you know um you know your my experience with you Richard earlier in the early days when you when you pull out custard squares you just uh it raised you in my estimation uh, you know by so much when you're able to do that in, in the background <laughs> yes. that well that's where that's where the custard square actually started when i wrote game that we did many years ago and i was like well standing in the bakery what am i going to get we need to have something so uh threw a couple of custard squares in there and and uh, it was pretty tasty in the middle of a 12-hour game, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. And, and I, I was so impressed because this was the head coach I was out with. And, uh, and, and you know, nutrition is obviously a big component of, of, uh, <laughs> of sport. And, and, uh, and you pulled this out. I was just like, wow, that's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, where's your favourite place to be? Um, I think, you know, on the bike, really. I, I love getting out and... Um, just having adventures, you know, and uh, I was thinking about, you know, the big trips, you're talking about the Copico, but I remember one I did training for, um, to go over to France to, to check out all my gear. I rode out to Godly Head and put up a tent at Godly Head, um, and that's only on my doorstep, you know, but to go out there with my new bike packing kit on my bike and put up a tent and get some fish and chips and thunder and stay at Godly Head at the old emplacement, gun emplacements yeah. out there. That was, uh, it was brilliant. So, yeah, your bike can just take you on adventures, can't it? And, 
that's what I love about it. Yeah, yeah. So, you guys at uh, Adventure South got a busy season coming up, kind of winging into summer? Yeah, we've been really hit and miss, unfortunately, with Auckland and Waikato coming in and out of lockdown. We've had a busy, you know, sort of November lined up, and, and then that sort of kind of, it's still coming along nicely, you know. But um, next uh, sort of January, February, March, we've, uh, we're pumping, yeah. So, um, fingers crossed that Auckland stays with us. Fingers crossed that, you know, um, double vaxxed Aussies can come and play in, in New Zealand as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic and, and really looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, the trip we've got going out next year. Uh, we've got a North Island gravel. We've got a South Island gravel trip as well going out. And um, so those are new trips for us and doing new things um, this season that we've not done before. So really exciting, really exciting. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're interested, just um, at the bottom of the screen there is the Adventure South website. Just jump on that and I'm sure you can get in touch with Brett and get all the information you can know about when when trips are on, where they're going, what you need, how much they are, what sort of port there is, and, and all those those good things. So, yeah, right awesome. Well done. Good stuff. Thanks for your time, Brett. Love your work. Hey, thank you. And, uh, look to Love good work, mate. Yeah, look forward to getting out and uh, experiencing and enjoying another ride sometime soon. Or hike a bike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's have a, <laughs> let's have an adventure. Maybe bike's optional, eh? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to anyway. Yeah, you did notice, Richard, that tonight both both uh, guests said that the first thing they take on an adventure is a bike. So, yeah, that's, I, I would probably need to go along with that. So, yeah. Thanks, Brett. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Yeah, well, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, Sweet. Hey. well done. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us. What's been your key takeaway sort of uh, from tonight's um, guests that we've had, Jonathan and Brett? I think just do it. Um, you know, make a plan and just, you know, don't extend yourself too far, but it, um, take what you need, um, plan around a few get out points if you need to, you know, whether you don't need to kind of, as I say, there's, there's so many opportunities around the country that you can stay and bed and breakfast and those sorts of things. And you, and you don't need to be kind of stuck under a, a tractor somewhere in the in the back of beyond or, you know, those sorts of things. Sure, sure there's, there's those opportunities for people, but yeah, there's, there's just so many options to, um, to get around the countryside and, and whether you do kind of link a few tracks up, you know, there's, it's, um, yes, yes, yes. yeah, as I say, I think you just got to get your bike on and just, just go and do it. Get out there. And I think on that, it really just means that we need to put our diaries together with a few others and go, right, this is when we're going to do it. And a few yep. others. So you commit to that date and let's go and get amongst it and make sure it actually happens. That's the thing with events. They have the date and you have to get yep. there by that date, but you can create that for yourself and, and it's just on our doorstep. It's actually really, really there. And if obviously Adventure South, it's a great accessible option to help you with those dates or help you with a bit of extra support and things to make sure you go out there and have an awesome, awesome adventure. Yeah. And then I guess from where we come from, we, we do a lot of that kind of background stuff of supporting people along the way. And there's a huge mm. amount of logistics that go into that. And whilst yeah. it's enjoyable to see everybody doing what they're doing, that there is a lot of hard work. And and uh, for some of the, the, the support packages that Adventure South have. How cool is it where you, you know, you again you set that goal six months in advance, whatever it is, you pay your money and you, you just turn up with a bike and a bag of stuff and enjoy yourself for 14 days. It'd be, you know, how could you not? I think you're looking a bit sick for work tomorrow, Matt. Uh, <laughs> might, uh, <laughs> in the next uh, couple of weeks maybe. 
Yeah, I don't know if I can. I don't hear pre-book sick leave in our place, but I'll, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's cool. No, that's awesome. um, so, uh, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us, Matt. Um, great yep. to hear some no comments and bits and pieces. Evo Cycles, thanks for being on board and helping us uh, bring the, the the show to you tonight. If you've got uh, any other comments, questions, suggestions, flick them through to us. Always keen to hear them. And uh, next week we're going to talk cycling, but going a little bit quicker. So uh, a bit of a tour of Southland, bit of a recap. So up the ante a little bit and, and uh, have a bit of a chat about that. So we'll let you know who has won that Evo Cycles prize back. So uh, different stuff that's going on. Our Christmas party, 15th of December. It's also doubles. There's a World Bingo uh, Championships as well. Matt, have you won that yet? I haven't. I was actually going to, since you brought it up, I was going to ask if the uh, the, the bingo balls have been police scrutineered this year or just generally scrutineered. <laughs> well, we're just trying to decide on whether it's just luck that actually, like, because maybe not all the balls are in there anyway. Like, actually, it's just bad luck and you're never going to win anyway. So, do yeah. we actually need to go and scrutinize them? I'm not sure. Uh, I think well, maybe we'll just try a few double ups in there just in case. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we'll leave that question unanswered at the stage. <laughs> I think you just have to come below to bingo night to find out. <laughs> exactly. Great fun. So, that's happening uh, 15th of December. And obviously, that uh, our group sessions get on and uh, come along, enjoy riding your bike with us and um, and help you get fit, have some fun, and meet a few other awesome people out and about. Yeah, most definitely. Sounds good. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Rich. Cheers, Cheers, Have a good week. You too. uh, And we'll catch up soon. Yep. Let me just, sorry. I'm just just, uh, playing some music and we'll see you next week. Thank you.